Rescue Baptist. Hope you're all doing well. Uh, let me encourage you uh, to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy this morning as we once again prepare to dig into God's Word. Uh, and as you're turning there, um, let me just say, well, it's wonderful to see you here this morning. It's hard to believe September is almost over. Uh, this fall seems to be just flying by. Uh, hopefully, you know, you've started settling into the rhythms once again, whether it's, you know, getting back into school, uh, you know, fall ministries starting up, maybe you're thinking about winter tires uh, for your car. I know those are just some of the things we go through this time of year. Uh, that's the rhythm. And part of our rhythm this year, again, has been for us uh, this sermon series. We're looking at talking about big questions, you know, finding answers to the kind of questions that define our lives. Uh, define our understanding of the world uh, that we live in. And last time I gave a little bit of an introduction on this topic, uh, on worldviews. Uh, and this week, uh, we're actually going to be looking at sort of the second part of the passage, one of the passages we looked at last time. As we ask the question this morning, our big question for today is, what is truth? And if you'd like to follow along with me in reading, our passage is going to be 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, we're going to read all the way to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. And it's Paul who's writing here, to again, to Timothy. And he says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myth. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Lord God, we just, again, we ask that you would be with us this morning as we open your word. Lord, we need you to be our guide, uh, to be our teacher, um, to be our source of truth this morning. And Lord, we just pray as we live our lives in a world that so often denies truth and so often wants to go its own way, we pray that, Lord, we would hear words this morning that are foundational, words upon which we can build our lives. Words which are true, which are solid, which are unchanging, um, and give us confidence for living. And Lord, give us an understanding of, of this world around us, uh, that we may see this world uh, through your truth. And Lord, we invite you to be with us this morning. Uh, Lord, we are eager, we are excited to hear what you would have us hear this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So again, a few weeks ago, uh, I raised this idea that there are questions, 
questions that we ask ourselves, where the answer to these questions are things that matter. These are not just little questions like, what should we have for dinner, or did I put the garbage out this week? These questions are questions that define us. They're questions that we ask ourselves that give our lives meaning. These, these are questions that really, when we answer them, they shape our understanding of the world around us. They're big questions. And I gave a couple of examples of those kind of questions last time. Uh, they're questions like, what is reality? What is the purpose of life? What's the origin of the universe? Where did we come from? Where did evil come from? What's wrong with this world? And how do we fix it? What happens after we die? And even as Mark kind of touched on last week, how do we find meaning in sorrow and pain? And today we ask another of those big questions. The question we have to answer, the question of what is truth? And this is a very important question because the answer is going to determine how we answer all of those other questions that we ask. You know, we only begin to answer those other big questions in our lives when we've determined what it is we believe is true. And I think that's maybe why we see so many people in our world today just desperately seeking for truth. You know, uh, a few weeks back, we, we, we watched the Jesus Revolution movie here at the church on a Tuesday night. And it was a movie about the hippie movement in, in the 70s. And I guess something that stood out to me when I watched at that time was this idea that all of those drugs, all of that sex, all of that rebellion that characterized that era was really done because there was this entire generation searching for truth. They were, they were searching for answers. They were searching for meaning. But as we know, for the most part, most of them were looking in all the wrong places. And the answers that they were finding were bringing them short-term pleasure, but they never really satisfied that craving of their hearts for something real. And you know, I still think that's why so many people are struggling in our world today to find meaning, to find purpose, because they don't have an answer to that question, what is true? Because there's so many different views trying to present itself as truth in our world. You know, a Muslim will look at these questions and they'll think the Quran is a source for, for answers. That's their source of truth. The, the Latter-day Saints, you know, will look at those questions and the Book of Mormon becomes their guide. An atheist will look at those questions and they're going to hope science is going to provide some kind of response in light of their denial of God. And as for us Christians, when we ask those questions, and if we want to seek truth, we also have a source for answers. As Christians, we have a source of truth. And we see Paul, as he writes the second letter of Timothy, um, and I think what makes this passage so relevant is to us is Paul, when he's writing this, he's describing a world very much like the world we live in today. Uh, because Timothy uh, was in the city of Ephesus. And, and in Ephesus at that time, you could live however you wanted. You could do whatever you wanted to do. You could believe in whatever you wanted to believe. You could worship any god. You could indulge in any form of sexual or immorality. You could live by whatever moral standard you chose. You could be an atheist. You could be a pantheist. You could believe in unicorns. You could believe in UFOs. I mean, you can believe that left is right and up is down, and people were okay with it. 
And you know, as Christians, we struggle. I know I struggle sometimes with that question. Well, how do we live in a world like that? How do we live in this world that doesn't know where truth comes from? But Paul gives us an answer. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And Paul is telling us here that in our search for truth and meaning, that truth is found in the Word of God. He's saying truth is the Scriptures, and truth for living is found in the Bible. Because in the Bible, we find reliable answers to the oldest problems and the newest challenges. And with that being said, I want to make four points here about biblical truth. Now, these are four points that show that the Bible is the truth that we should build our lives upon. The Bible is the actual source of truth. When all those other truths compete with each other, trying to be heard, it's the Bible that rises above all of them for these reasons. Because first, you need to know that the Bible contains everything that a person needs to know to live their lives in the truth. The Bible is, is complete. You know, uh, Paul says it, it's given so that the man of God might be complete, that he would be fully equipped for every good work. It's not lacking. The Bible contains all the answers we need when it comes to answering all of those big questions that we ask. And you know, I know that the Bible, it doesn't contain information about everything that everyone will ever know, want to know about everything. I mean, if you are trying to connect your computer wirelessly to your computer, do not go to your Bible and look for a troubleshooting guide for that problem. You know, it's just, it's not there. The Bible doesn't tell you how to change a flat tire. It doesn't tell you how to do calculus either. But what I really want you to hear is this. The Bible does tell us all that we need to know about those important questions we all ask in life. Because it tells us about God. It tells us about faith. It tells us about human nature. It tells us about Christ and his work on the cross. It tells us about eternity. It tells us how we can grow in righteousness and maturity in Christ. The Bible contains all the truth that we need to know as people in order to find true purpose and meaning in life through Christ and answer all of those big questions. The Bible's complete. And then second, biblical truth is also transformation. This is something else that sets it apart. That this truth is not just truth, it changes us. Paul says that it teaches us, it reproves us, it corrects us, it transforms us. It trains us in righteousness. The truth of God is not stagnant. God's truth is not just a list of facts or things that are right and wrong, or a bunch of do's and don'ts that sit there on the page. The Word of God is alive. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is alive, and it's active, 
sharper than a two-double-edged sword that penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, that judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That means there's power in the Word of God. There's power in the Word of God to help people find victory over sin. There's power in the Word of God to help people live in obedience. There's power in the Word of God to change people's lives. God's truth guides us, it shapes us, it transforms us. It's alive and it's active. And that sets it apart. And then third, I think you also need to hear that the Bible does not just contain answers to our questions. It contains the very best answers. I would even say it contains the right answers. Because, you know, every worldview claim cannot be true. You know, you can't have two worldviews that disagree about something and have both of them being right. You can't have two different opposite things being true at the same time. And when it comes to this world, the Bible gets it right. Uh, the Bible is what is actually true. That means that answers that disagree with the Bible are answers that are going to be wrong. Because the source of the Bible is God himself. Uh, Paul says it's, it's breathed out by God, and not, uh, inspired by God. God is the source of this truth, and that makes it true. Let me put it, I thought of this illustration. I'll put it to you like this. Because, you know, in my time here on Earth, um, I've watched a lot of TV. Uh, you know, right now, I have 200 channels, maybe more. I don't even, I don't count them. But, you know, but I was around when TV was mostly black and white. You needed the little bunny ears, you know, to pick up one of four channels. One of them was always French. I don't know why, you know. And then we always got that one the best, right? Like, you're trying to get, oh, I don't know. I've watched a lot of TV. And that means, you know, in my observation of TV over the years, I could probably tell you a lot about TV from my experience, from what I've seen, what I, you know. But the reality is, if you really want to know about TV, you should probably ask the guy that invented it. Because I could tell you how to change channels and do stuff, but, you know, the person who invented it understands the wavelengths and the signal strengths and the person, you know, that person understands the microprocessors and the circuit boards and, you know, they know about LED flat screens and how those things work. You know, I just turn it on. I, I barely know anything. Because if you really want to know about something, this is the point, you ask its creator. And in this world, we can do the same thing. We believe God created this world. He's the one that actually shaped this reality. And he knows how it works. He knows better than anyone how it works. He knows this creation perfectly. And the Bible is what the creator himself is telling us about life that is lived in his creation. The Bible is what's really true because its source is God himself. And not only that, but the Bible also answers, uh, offers us answers that satisfy. I mean, Paul calls it here uh, profitable. It's good stuff. Because the Bible is also meaningful truth. It's truth that's not just sort of interesting. And other it, no, this is truth that actually helps us make sense of the world. Um, truth that matters in day-to-day -day stuff. Yeah, a few years ago, I was listening to Focus on the Family. Um, which had a guy on named Lee Strobel as a, as a guest speaker. Some of you may know that name. Now, Lee Strobel was a journalist, uh, and he was actually an atheist. But he, his wife was a Christian, and it actually it drove him nuts 
that she would believe in this God stuff and go to church. So one day, Lee Strobel decided, you know what? I'm a journalist. I'm going to use my journalistic skills, my rational thoughts, to prove to my wife that her faith is false. So he began his investigation. He began asking his questions and looking for answers, looking for errors, looking for falsehoods, looking for some kind of evidence that Christianity was wrong. And believe it or not, in trying to disprove the existence of God to his wife, he found himself overwhelmed with the evidence for Christ, and he became a Christian. He actually began serving as a pastor, and yet, interestingly, he still had some ties with some of his old atheist friends. And while he was talking with some of those friends, they came up with this idea of actually having a debate, a debate between an atheist and a Christian, some of the best minds of our time. And in the city they were in, they promoted this event, uh, you know, to the public. And the night came and 7,000 people showed up to listen to this debate. And both sides presented their evidence and, and their arguments. And after the debate was over, they took a survey of the people who attended that debate. Would you believe 80% of the people attending said, after all the evidence was presented, Christianity was the most reasonable of the beliefs presented. Christianity provided the best answers to the questions that we ask. And you know, that's really good news for us as believers. Because it means we have a reliable source of truth. Truth that is complete. Truth that is transformational. Truth that is real. Truth that is meaningful. Truth that we can build our lives upon. And hearing that, you think, well, with all of that being true, life should just go swimmingly for us. But unfortunately, we know that's not how life works. Because look at what Paul says next. In 2 Timothy, moving on to chapter 4, verse 1, where he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is judged the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with... with uh, complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths. And you know, this is very important for us when it comes to worldview. Because, you know, even though the Bible gives us answers to all of life's questions, even though the Bible is, is what is true, even though a life lived in accordance with the Word of God is a life of value and meaning and purpose and joy, it doesn't mean that everyone is just going to jump on board. Because we also live in this world, as Paul tells us, where many people would much rather live a lie than face a truth that gets in the way of their own desires. Even in the face of truth, they don't want to change how they think. They don't want to any challenges to how they live. They don't want to hear that their decisions will have consequences. They don't want to believe in God's truth, even though it's real. In fact, back in 2016, the Oxford Dictionary, you know, they put out a, like a word of the year every year that kind of exemplifies the year. 2016, Oxford Dictionary proclaimed that the word post-truth, it's hyphenated, so it's one word, I guess. Post-truth 
was their word of the year. And post-truth, by their own definition, was an adjective, which they defined as false. They said it's relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. And what that's basically saying is that most people are choosing to just believe whatever they want to believe. And they're not letting facts, they're not letting reality, they're not letting truth get in the way of that. Everybody kind of believes what they want to believe. Everybody just makes up their own narrative. Everybody takes their own opinion about something and that becomes the most important thing. It's not facts, it's not proof, it's not reality, it's what I think. Basically, people are making themselves their own source of truth in their life. And they're surrounding themselves with people who think and feel the same way they do. So no one has to sort of burst their bubble of delusion. And you know, people really don't like it if you burst their bubbles. Um, They actually get pretty mad about it, which is why Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.4, tells Timothy you're going to endure some suffering. And a little earlier, in 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, all who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Because if you take a stand for truth, you are going to be under attack from people who just, they don't want to hear that truth. And that's the reason that the Bible is so constantly under attack. The Bible is hated. It's a hated book by people. And they want to tear it down. You know, when I was in seminary, I was fascinated by some of the papers I had to read in various journals. And it basically, I, I kind of thought this. You could say anything you wanted, and as long as it sort of denied the biblical view, it would be accepted. You know, you could say, you could write a paper that said Jesus was a cross-dressing pedophile, and some journal would publish you, and some academic would go, hmm, that's a very interesting, deep thought. And yet, if you wrote a paper that said Jesus was the Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world, you get nowhere. You get shut down. The world doesn't want to hear it. And you know, as I, I was reflecting a lot on that this week, just about how this Bible is, is just constantly being criticized and maligned and condemned. So I thought I actually just, I would address some of the ways that I personally see the Bible being attacked in our world today. And how people are are trying to get around uh, God's truth to to believe their own lies. And the first sort of attack I see happening is what I would call reinterpretation. Uh, You know, the oldest lie in the Bible was Satan showing up in the garden and asking, did God really say? I mean, are you sure you heard God right when he said that to you? And we still see that in our world today where, you know, We see people trying to find ways around what the Bible clearly says. And this is really what I would call hubris-based thinking. This is is the pride of the heart making this happen. Because somehow we think that today, with all of our learning and all of our education and all of our enlightenment now, that we can somehow come up with an interpretation of the Bible that 2,000 years worth of believers before us somehow missed. Just because we're so deep now. Yeah. You know, it, that we can just read the Bible more deeply today. But it's silly. Like, imagine, it's like this. Imagine this. Imagine I take out my phone and I, I, I send a text to my kids. 
And in the text, I say, hey, kids, I'm going to Tim Hortons. Do you want an ice cap? My kids would be very excited if that ever happened. It doesn't. Um, but you know what? In hearing that, most of you here would know exactly what I'm talking about when I write those words. In 10 years from now, you read that text again, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. But what about in, in 100 years? What about 200 years from now? And what about if 2,000 years from now, some scholar digs up that text somehow, and they read it, and they say to themselves, well, it's obvious that the author of this text is discussing corporate greed that was prevalent at the time of the writing, and that the biggest concern among the youth was global warming and the melting of the polar ice caps. This text is obviously a political statement written from a perspective of a person despairing in the future. And you go, what? Like, yeah. You think that's silly, but you know what? That's exactly what's happening with the Bible all the time. 2,000 years later, we're thinking we can understand it better. And you take any issue today, you know, be it abortion, gay rights, divorce, medically assisted suicide, and you will find people twisting verses. You're going to find people deep diving into alternative Greek word meanings. You're going to find them taking things out of context, all to try to make the Bible now say what they want to hear. They're trying to convince themselves that God didn't really say. And that's the first attack. They try to reinterpret some of the plain meanings. The second attack that I often see aimed at the Word of God is one of irrelevance. Now, people say, well, the Bible, it's just out of date, it doesn't keep up with the times. You know, that, that those words, you know, they don't apply to us anymore because so much has changed. Like somehow if the Bible writers, you know, could see the world that we're living in today right now, they would go, oh, we're going to change our minds. But I can assure you, when it comes to human nature, there is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing that the biblical writers at that time didn't see before. There's nothing in our world today that is unique or that God didn't see coming. I mean, just listen to Paul's words in Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 3, back in verse 1, where he says, understand this, in the last times, there will be times of difficulty. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Does that sound like Paul doesn't understand the world we live in today? No, that's a perfect description of the times we live in. And again, sometimes we get caught up in this, this prideful thinking, thinking we are so special, we are so unique that God's word must not be talking to us. And those things we don't want to listen to. But in reality, we're no different from the people in the Bible. We're no different from the people in the days of Noah who called good evil and evil good. You see, the Bible is not out of date and it's not irrelevant. It just says things that people don't like. So they want some excuse to ignore it. And then the third attack I see on the Bible is the attack that says it's untrustworthy. And here it actually recommend a little book called, by Josh McDowell, or books like it, called, it's called Evidence Demands a Verdict. 
Because there are people who, who say, you know, there's errors in the manuscript or, or there's things that have been corrupted in the Bible over time or, you know, there's things in the Bible that just were made up. They have no basis in actual facts. You know, for a while, the, the Bible was actually ridiculed because archaeologists had never found any proof of the existence of King David. Um, there was no proof of like people like the Hittites that the Bible talks about. So it, it, all of that stuff, we hailed as proof. The Bible was wrong. The Bible was inaccurate. It was untrustworthy. But you know what? Today, archaeologists found proof for both. They just kept digging. And it was there. And it confirms exactly what the Bible says. And you know, when it comes to manuscripts, you know, if you ever feel like you should doubt the validity of the Bible that you have before you, listen to this. Um, one of the sort of most well-known Greek authors of the ancient world was a guy named Plato. Uh, he wrote a book called The Republic, among other writings. And you know, no scholar ever sort of questions uh, the validity of Plato's writings. And yet, when it comes to Plato, there's only been seven ancient copies of his work that have ever been found. And the oldest of those was written some two, uh, 1,200 years after his death. Or take the Iliad by Homer, which is actually probably the most well-documented, one of the most well-documented works in history. For that, we actually have 643 copies of that poem. And the oldest of that was written 500 years after his death. Again, scholars look at that and they, no one questions the reliability of either of those works. But with the New Testament, we have 5,600 copies of various texts of the Old Testament dating from as little as 35 to about 100 years after they were originally written. And remember, those were written by hand, so you know some of those are going to have typos, misspelled words, but the manuscripts are 99.5% accurate. And if you actually take other translations from the New Testament, from either Latin or Aramaic or other languages from that time, the number of manuscripts we have actually goes to 24,000. And not just that, but if you take the writings of some of the early church fathers, like Justin Martyr or Clement or, or, or Eusebius, you can actually almost reconstruct the entire New Testament just from their quotations in their letters. And yet that's the one the scholars question as being inaccurate or, or un, uh, untrustworthy. But what it really means is that the Bible is the most well-documented and reliable and trustworthy book in history. And then finally, there are also those who attack the Bible on what I would categorize as being, the attack is that it's just inconvenient. And we talked a little bit about this last time, and maybe this is not so much as an attack, it's just, just people choosing to ignore the parts of the Bible they don't like. Uh, and this is a, a crisis, especially in churches today. You know, when I was young, I might be dating myself, we used to have these little books you could get called Choose Your Own Adventure. Oh, they were a lot of fun. And you'd, you'd begin by reading a story, and then you get to a place where you actually got to make a choice. One was about driving and racing, and it was like, would you like to be an off-road racer or a race car racer? And if you want to do this one, you turn to this page. If you want to do this one, you turn to that page. And the story just continues. And it was a lot of fun for reading a novel, but I don't think a lot of people understand that the Bible is not a choose-your-own-adventure book. The Bible's not a book where you can take it or leave it. And, you know, or you, well, you can take it and leave it, but you can't pick it apart for scraps. Because that, that, when you, when you, it just, that erodes the foundation of truth in our lives. 
It's kind of like thinking, like, maybe if I drill holes in my foundation of my basement, it won't leak when it's raining, you know, it rains. Like, you're just destroying the foundation by, by, by shooting holes in it. But again, I think many people in their lives, they're doing just that. Many Christians live their lives, basing their lives on a version of truth that they've cobbled together from various sources. And some of it might be biblical, but a lot of it's just influenced by the world. So a lot of the stuff that they think is inconvenient, they throw out. And that just destroys the truth of the Word of God. But the Bible is very much under attack. So let me close just this morning with some quick words of what I hope are advice, encouragement, and application. Because as we answer the question, what is truth? As Christians, we should be putting a couple of things into practice in our lives just about every day. And the first word of advice I have for you is this, be reading the Word of God. Um, Jesus said, Matthew 4, 4, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. As believers, we need to be students of the Bible. We need to be readers of the Bible because the Bible is our source of truth. And outside of the Bible, everything is relative. Everything is up for grabs, but the Bible for Christians remains our anchor in the storm. It is a reliable word of truth in a world of relativism. We need to be reading it. We need to know what it says. Then secondly, be discerning. Um, you know, the reality is the media that we have at our fingertips today, whether it's TV or radio or internet, those things make a near-perfect environment for deception and even false teachers to sneak into our lives. So how do we protect ourselves? Well, we discern truth. And we do that by comparing everything that we hear to what is taught in the Word of God. We hold all people, all teaching accountable for what they say, what, what it teaches. And that means even this church, even the people who stand in this pulpit and preach, even me, hold us accountable to the Word of God. I love the passage in Acts about the Bereans. Acts 17, verse 11 says, The Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness, and they examined the Scriptures every day to see what Paul said was true. And they weren't chastised for that. They, they weren't called doubters or disloyal to Paul. They were called people of more noble character. We need to test the truth that we are building our lives upon. We need to be discerning and compare everything to the truth of the Word of God. Third word of advice I have for you this morning is be obeying. Uh, don't just read it, don't just study it, don't just know it, but do what the Bible says. Um, don't just give God's truth lip service, but be living it out in your life. Obey the things that you read. Live out the truth of the word of God in your life. And then fourth, fourth, I think fourth, fourth. Be proclaiming. Um, interesting, 2 Timothy, our passage again, Timothy tells, uh, Paul tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Again, 2 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 1, Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and dead. And by his appearance and by his kingdom, he says, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. I think that's important because, you know what, even though we live in this world that is rejecting our message, rejecting our truth, this is no time to be silent. 
Howard Hendricks uh, once said something that's always stuck with me. He said, in the midst of a generation screaming for answers, Christians are stuttering. As Christians, we should not just be content to see the world around us drift off into deception and into an eternity in hell. The message of God's truth must still go out. It must still be proclaimed. And you know what? The world will never know or hear the truth if they don't hear it from us because we have the truth. We have the word of God to tell them about. Be proclaiming. And then finally, be together. And I've said this one to you before, but what I mean by that is that it's far easier to stand for the truth when you have other believers who are willing to stand with you. It's easier to live out the truth when you're part of a Bible-believing church and you have a, a faithful community around you. Because you know what? A good church will teach you the Word of God. Uh, a good church will encourage you and help you understand how to live according to the Bible. A good church will hold its members accountable for living out that truth. And as church and as individuals, that needs to be our goal. Because it is God's truth, God's word, the truth of God's word that makes a difference. It's the truth of God's word that, that changes lives. It's the truth of God's words that gives us the strength to face this world we live in. It's the truth of God's word that gives us hope. It's the truth of God's word that sets us free. And it's the truth of God's word that should be the foundation for our lives both for now and for eternity. And as a church and as believers, we need to be holding on to that truth. We can't let anyone, no one, nothing, ever lead us astray. And that's, again, not always easy. And as we heard, there may be hardship and suffering that comes our way from an unbelieving world when we want to live that truth out and proclaim that truth to others. But as Christians and as people of the truth, there's no other way for us to live. Our worldview rests upon that foundation because even in this post-truth world, it's time for us to take a stand for what is true. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for giving us the truth. Because Lord, we know that at one time, we were lost, we were blind. We were alone we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. And yet, Lord, you reached into the darkness and you found us with hope. You found us with faith and you found us with your truth. Truth that tells us about you. Truth that tells us about the world. Truth that leads us to Jesus Christ and his salvation. And Lord, without that truth, we wouldn't know up from down or left from right. But Lord, with you and with your word, we have truth upon which we can live and build our lives. Truth to live by, truth that saves us, truth that can transform us, train us. Lord, again, truth that is the foundation for us to live on in a world that, it, that it denies that truth even exists sometimes. A world that rejects and scorns and abuses the Bible on a, just on a daily basis. But Lord, our prayer this morning is that, Lord, just as Paul's charge to Timothy that, Lord, we would take a stand for truth. That, Lord, we'd be people of truth. That we would live our lives according to the scriptures. That we would know the answer to the question, what is truth? Because, Lord, we know truth is your word. Truth is your promises to us. Lord, truth is you. Lord, because Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. 
And I pray that, Lord, in knowing that, we would see all of life in light of the truth of who you are and this world that you created. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.